Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father, we're so delighted to be in your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the welcome that is in your presence for us because of the blood of Jesus, because of your great love for each and every one of us. Thank you for the miracles you've done over these days. Thank you for the healings and the deliverances for those who've returned to you, Lord, for those who've been saved or filled with the Holy Spirit. We praise you for it. We pray again that today that you would speak into all of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will touch those in need of healing, that you will bring salvation to those, Lord God, who are not yet children of God. I pray that today, that, Lord, not one person will leave here without the joy of forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. Lord, we just welcome your Holy Spirit to move amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God is so good. Second Corinthians 5 is probably one of the clearest passages in the whole of the Bible, and especially the New Testament, that deals with the gospel and our responsibilities within it. It's a very, very powerful passage. It speaks of eternity. It speaks, perhaps, it probably is the clearest passage in the whole of the New Testament dealing with the two motivations in the gospel side by side. The fear of the Lord on one side and the love of God on the other. And it's very powerful. It talks about the judgment seat of Christ. In Christ we're saved from the, the, the great white throne judgment. Christ has borne our sins and so we'll make it into heaven as we live by faith in Jesus. However... We do not get saved from the judgment seat of Christ. That is a judgment that every Christian will face. It's a judgment for how we spent our time, our talents, and our treasure in this life for God's kingdom. I didn't hear anybody say amen, hallelujah, or show any excitement at that point. You know, everybody wants to go to the Signs and Wonders Conference, you know. No one would want, wants to go to the Accountability, Self-Control and Holiness Conference. Nobody would want that one, you know. But the truth about it is we need that stuff, don't we? We need character as well as charisma in the kingdom of God to really be like Jesus. But we go on from this. As Paul the Apostle goes on, he then goes on and he says this. He moves naturally on into chapter 6. Of course, he didn't know it was chapter 6. It was later on, but the numbers were put in there later. But he goes on in his letter and he says this. We then, as workers together with him. I love that expression. As workers, there is work in the gospel. Amen. It's not just about when you feel inspired and fuzzy and electric and all of that. It's, it's a work as well. We are workers in the gospel. We then as workers, but as workers together with him. Because the gospel actually first and foremost is God's work. In the sense of this, it's his mission in the world. And he calls us to be co-workers together with him. It's a partnership where he is called the church to work together with God in the world. 
proclaiming the finished work of Christ to a lost and hurting world. Amen. That's awesome. But we are workers together with him. That's wonderful because we can know his strength and his grace in all that we do. We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Let the grace of God really have its work in you. Amen. Don't receive it in vain. Let God's grace is both a noun and a verb in New Testament Greek. It speaks of a position that we have before God, of salvation, the free mercy and grace of God in Christ. But it's also a power word, a word of pardon and a word of power. And it means also the ability of God enabling us to become like Christ, to be everything that we should be in Jesus Christ. Amen? Both in character and in the charisma and power of the Spirit. And so this is the grace of God, and it's available to us in Him. And then he says this, In an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is it that God is going to hear you? In an acceptable time. And when is that acceptable time? Now. So that means right now is the acceptable time and God's going to hear you. How significant is it to know that God hears you? 1 John 5 says this, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we pray anything, ask anything according to his will... His will is his word. According to his will, we know that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, we know we have what we asked of him. So the fact that God hears you is evidence that you've got what you asked. That deserves a few more amens. I don't know whether we really got that. That's got to drop from here to here. Okay, if you pray according to the will of God, that's why in prayer, very often successful and fruitful prayer, prayer that gets results, sometimes it's more wise to take more time establishing your certainty of the will of God about what you're praying than it is about rushing into the need. Because faith is not based on the need. Faith is based on the provision for the need. And so this is absolutely fundamental. But when you know he's heard you, you know you've got what you asked for. And he said, you're gonna, this is the acceptable time. So I want you to know right now, if you're one of those people trying to put off your miracle to another day, if you are thinking that one day God's gonna turn this around, maybe sometime in the timing of the Lord, he might change my life around. You know, it depends what mood he's in, you know, whatever, you know. If you're one of those people, if you think one of these days I'll get on fire for God and I'll be as, I'll be as stirred up as the rest of those guys going on the streets. But you know, just for now, you know, life's ticking on. And if you're one of those people, wake up. The time is now. It's now. And now is the acceptable time. Now is the time of God's favor. And you will be heard. Secondly, now is the day of salvation. Amen. And what's going to happen in the day of salvation? You will be? Yeah, but what did it say? You will be helped. 
Salvation is a very broad concept. A lot of times we think of salvation just as getting to heaven. Well, it is that, but it's a whole load more than that. You know that after all, heaven really isn't the ultimate destination of the saints. You do know that. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So heaven is a stopover. (laughs) Ultimately, God's going to come and dwell with us. Come on. That's true. There's nothing weird. That's not heresy, guys. Read your Bibles. Okay. So let me tell you this. Right now, heaven's just a stopover. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Why is this so significant? Because many Christians just want Jesus to save them and get me out of my mess and get me up there. But let me tell you, Jesus doesn't just want, he wants to get you out of your mess. He wants you to be present with him in glory. But it's not just about that. He wants you to reveal the glory of God upon the earth. Amen. So he wants to help you. Salvation is more than just being forgiven of your sins. It's about you being healed in your body, being delivered, being made whole, being set free, living in peace, free from apprehension and fear, and being launched out in faith to be a life transformer in this creation. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I want to speak in tongues. That's good stuff. Let me say to you today, King's Church, it is time. It is time. Can you hear it in the spirit? It's time. Over this church and over Cambridge, it's time. It's high time. God is moving things forward. It's time to catch the wave. There's a new wave coming on the King's Church. There's a new wave of the Spirit that's coming upon the people you've been reaching out for and the people you've been praying for and the seeds that you've been sowing and the miracles you've been looking for and the breakthrough that you're looking for. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. Now is the time for breakthrough. Now is the time for a great wave of the Holy Spirit in this place, in Jesus' name. It's time for kings. It's time for Cambridge. And it's time for you. Glory to God. I want you to consider this. Billy Graham went to be with the Lord a couple of months ago. What a wonderful man of God. What a wonderful legacy he's left behind. But you know, it intrigued me that a couple of months before he went to be with Jesus, he was uh, interviewed on American television. And the interviewer asked him this question. In all your years of life, this was 99 years old, lived a long time. In all your years of life, he said, what has been the greatest surprise of your life? His answer was, the brevity of life the shortness of life has been my greatest surprise you know anyone who's had kids relates to this I can remember I want to tell you something this is just open my heart to you for a moment um, last year we were doing a mission in uh, near to our own town of Bourne in Lincolnshire and um I was busy as ever. I had such a busy old summer. You know, very often my summers I'm running from one mission to another, to another, to another. We have three boys, Nathan, Josh, and Ben. I love them with all my heart. You know, and I could just tell you this, that um, I was rushing in and out in between meetings and things. And uh, anyway, we all sat down around the family meal table. And uh, we sat down to eat. 
I was in my mind, I was thinking about everything that happened that day and then I'm thinking about everything that's going to be happening that night and how I need to make sure I'm prepared and ready and what I'm going to share and all this kind of thing. The boys are talking away and I suddenly just looked up while taking another mouthful and I looked at them. Suddenly it hit me. You know, my eldest is just turning 16 and I can remember when he was a little boy Little baby, somewhere between the tip of that finger and this elbow, holding him when he was born. The birth was an interesting one. You know, normally first deliveries take a bit longer. And um, dear Elaine was pushing and pushing with him all night. And I remember just the last, you know, there was, a, there was shifts of midwives. I can remember the last midwife coming. She was an African lady. And uh, she was born again. Thank God for born again midwives. And she came in. And you know, I, I'm just, I'm marching up and down the bottom of the bed praying in tongues, you know. I, I, I don't know what else to do. You know, it's, it is painful to watch your wife give birth. Not as painful as it is to give birth. But it's painful to watch them give birth. I'm not essential. I'm not very squeamish, to be honest. I know some guys, you know, feel like fainting and all of that. I've never been one of those kinds, but I'm... But I, you know, I don't like to see my wife in pain. Anyway, I'm marching up and down the bed and I'm praying away in tongues. I'll never forget the, the midwife. She kind of stopped me. She said, what's that, sir? What's that? I said, don't worry about it. I'm going up and down. Praying away. And, and eventually she said, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, yes, I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she said, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. Would you pray for me to receive? I said, not now. Just get on with the business. Just, you know. <laughs> and dear Elaine is all... <laughs> I thought, goodness sake, woman. Have some sensitivity. <laughs> but I thought I'm going to have to answer to Elaine for this later. I'm going to just see it, you know. <laughs> But, you know, and then little Nathan pops out, and he's just like this. And when I suddenly look at him, and there he is, and he's taller than me now. And his whole life, I've been away six, seven months of the year, every year. And I look up at him, and I say, I think, where's the time gone? And I couldn't stop myself. The tears started to flow. And he looked at me, he said, Dad... He was the first one to know. He said, Dad, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I, I said, it's just, um, life's gone so quick. Now, you know, I said, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm really proud of you. And I'm so glad that you're growing up to be a fine young man. There's that part of me that's really proud of you. And the other side of me is a dad that doesn't want you to grow up. Because I just, I love you and I still want you around here. And you know, life is so fast. It's just like a shadow that's come and gone. Like a. A wind that passes by. You know, David said, Lord, he prayed in the Psalms. He says, Lord, give me a heart of wisdom that I may number my days aright. That I may number my days aright. I meet senior ministers now who have led great movements of churches around the world. And, and it's amazing now. I, I love to read the biographies and autobiographies and, or talk to men of God when they're in their later years, you know. Not when they're younger and think they know everything. You know, 
I, I, I love their passion and all of that, you know. I, I kind of like, I relate a bit to, you know, the kind of um, stickers you see on the back of builders' vans that says, you know, hire a teenager while they still know everything, you know. But I understand that because I was one and I was like that. You know, you do. You feel like you know everything and you're going to change the world. And thank God we need that kind of attitude and that passion. We've got to keep the passion. Amen. But at the same time, we need the wisdom of years. And, you know, often you talk to these guys in their later years and they look back, it's amazing. I, they all say the same to me. Say, you know, John, it's amazing. All that stuff we used to huff and puff about and thought was so necessary. <laughs> and it's only to get on through life, you say, think, you know what? It's about making the main thing the main thing. Where's your life going? Where's your life going today? Where is it really headed? I can remember a number of years ago ministering in Cornwall. And um, I went down to this church. I was actually ministering in this particular church. I was, I was just uh, visiting. I was there. And, and I remember that um, I wasn't the preacher that day. But I sat through the message. It was a good word and, and everything else. And at the end, I, I got up and I saw. I was regularly at this church. I was in Cornwall. And I... Um, as I got up, I saw right at the end there a, a man. He wasn't too old. He was probably, uh, yeah, I think he was about 65, something like that. And, you know, he gets up and he's just having his coffee and biscuits like the rest of everybody. But, you know, nobody was talking to him. And that's not good. It's not good to go in and out of a church amongst people and no one talks to you. We shouldn't be like that. Don't be clicky. Reach out to people. Love people. So I just, you know, I, I saw this guy there. And, and so I thought no one was talking to him. So I thought I'll go up and talk to him. So I went up to him and I just said to him, um, how are you doing, sir? I said, I'm okay, thank you. I said, uh, did you enjoy the service? And then all I said, yeah, very much so, thank you. And I, I just suddenly felt a gentle prompt of the spirit. So I said to him, can I ask you, sir, uh, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Have you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? And he looked at me and said, well, no, to be honest. I said, well... You know, this is one of the churches that doesn't give an appeal every Sunday. I always encourage churches. I don't care what you preach on. Turn it around for the gospel at the end and give an appeal. You'll see your church grow. So, you know, and, and, but no appeal was given. So he just wandered out there and, you know, nobody given the opportunity for him to get saved. So anyway, he stand there. And so I said, well, look, you know, let me tell you, Jesus really loves you, sir. And he gave his life for you. And I just briefly shared the gospel. I said, would you like him in your life? He said, yes, please. I said, okay, just pray with me now. He'll come into your heart. And there and then he gave his life to Christ. Well, the next day, I was, I was leaving St. Austell. If you know St. Austell as a town, I was going up from the center and going up the kind of high ride that goes up on its way to the railway station. I'm driving up that road. And as I'm driving up the road, I see an ambulance and the lights going. And, and you know, there's a crowd of people all around this, a body that's lying on the pavement. And I, I, I pulled over and stopped and got out my car and went down to see if I could help. And as I went down, I kind of gently pushed through the crowd. And there I see on the pavement the body of the man I led to Christ the morning before. He went into the presence of Jesus that day. And I was so grateful to God that I shared Christ with him that day. I can't honestly say to you that I, every person, I, that I've stopped for every person, that I've always got it right. I haven't. But I thank God for those that I have stopped for and seen Jesus change their lives. You know, the theologian David Carson says this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. 
It's a powerful statement. This is the time for Cambridge. This is the time for many of you to start going to the nations. I feel in my spirit, I need to say this to you. God is going to start raising up more teams to go from here to the nations. It started, but it's going to increase. There is going to be an increase. Some of you are going to hear it, and you're at the moment, you wouldn't expect that that's what God would tell you to do. But, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to start moving some of your hearts. So he's going to start giving you dreams. He's going to start drawing near to you and speaking into your heart. There's going to be some real changes. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. The Spirit is breathing on you. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 5 to 17. Acts chapter 8, verse 5 to 17. This is the account of the only man in in the New Testament actually called an evangelist. At this point, he wasn't called an evangelist. His name is Philip. It's not till Acts 21 he's referred to as being an evangelist. At least it's the right way around. You know, some people like to give people titles and then try and encourage them to live up to it. It's never a good idea. You know, it's always easier to put people into leadership positions than get them out of it. But it's much, much better to give people a title when they, exi- when they exhibit the fruit of it. Amen. So, uh, you know, here we are. When the, it says this in um, Acts 8. Starting verse 4, this is just after all the persecution that took place in Jerusalem, after the martyrdom of Stephen. It says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. At this moment, Philip was a deacon. He was a server of tables. He was like the guys or the gals serving the coffee downstairs. That's what he was doing. But there's a great persecution and suddenly the coffee server becomes an evangelist. Amen. You never know what's in you till you're thrown out the boat. You know that. (laughs) So it goes on. He went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. That's the message of the evangelist. It's the message of the church. Christ. We preach Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing, I love this, Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. How do you hear a miracle? He didn't say hearing about the miracles. He said hearing the miracles. Well, in the next verse, he tells us. Four unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Those were the miracles they heard. Amen. And it goes on and says... And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Amen. So there's miracles that you hear. The fact that people can be delivered from demons that bind them is a miracle of God. Freedom. Real freedom. The world has nothing to compare with it. Nothing to compare with it. Everything that the world promotes as freedom only leads to self-dependency, to pride, or to worse bondage to one thing or another. But Christ makes you free and free indeed. Amen. Glory to God. And you can hear it sometimes when people get free. If people are bound by demons and they come screaming out, I'll tell you something, you hear it. (laughs) I've had enough of them through the years. Screaming out and saying all kinds of stuff. 
I even had some demons scream out from a witch one time. When I was tired, I'd been ministering deliverance there. And then for about 30, 40 minutes, she was so demonized, one thing after another coming out of her. Every time she heard the name Jesus, you know, or tried to say the prayer of salvation, got to the name of Jesus, another one would come out. You know, so at the end, I had a farmer friend of mine, a Cornish farmer. He wasn't a very educated chap, but man, he knew how to move in the Holy Spirit. And I just said, Mervyn, you carry on and cast out these demons. I said, sure, I'm going to refresh myself in God. So I get up and I start praising Jesus. And, and when you praise, his presence comes and he fills you again. So, so I start praising him. I'm walking around. And suddenly this, this woman who's lying flat on the floor suddenly sits bolt upright. Her eyes roll back in her head and a deep male voice comes out of her and, and looks at her. At, um, Mervyn and then points at me and says to him tell him to stop that tell him to stop that says I hate that man he's always smiling (laughs) I thought I don't even know the woman you know but evidently what was inside her knew me and hated the fact that I smile a lot do you know something the devil's got nothing to smile about He's a griper. He's a complainer and a moaner. Don't be like that. You're being like him. (laughs) Okay? Amen. He's got nothing to look forward to. (laughs) He can't stand the fact that we all get forgiven and he doesn't have any. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, Satan is the God of every rebel. (laughs) You don't want to be like him. You don't want to be a gripe. You don't want to look like you live on lemon juice. (laughs) Know that you're loved. You're loved. You're loved. I tell you, if nobody else does, he does. He loves you. You're totally loved. And you can know his forgiveness and his grace and his joy and his kindness and his faithfulness in your life will put a smile on your face. I think Christians who don't smile much, they haven't quite got hold of the gospel yet. They're still trying to keep the law, you know. And they gripe about everything. You need to grow up. When I say grow up, I mean grow up in the gospel. Grow up in the good news. The gospel's good news. It's really good news. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love it. Well, this is what happens when the gospel breaks out. You know, every time that Christians go public, the power of God breaks out. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. You know, when Jesus confesses you before the Father in heaven, when you have vocal declaration of God, of Christ on the earth, and vocal declaration of man in heaven, heaven and earth connect. There's a man at the right hand of God. The man, Christ Jesus, interceding for you and me. He represents us before the Father and we represent him before the world. The Holy Spirit breaks out when we get out. What can we expect when the gospel is proclaimed? We proclaim, we expect salvation. We expect healing. We expect deliverance. We expect people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. As you read on through this passage, the Bible says... That when the apostles in Jerusalem heard Samaria received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down to them to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They'd only been baptized in water. You know, some people think you get it all at salvation. Well, legally you do. You know, but let me tell you this, you know, experientially, 
The Christian life is a life of possessing progressively in experience everything that's already been provided for you in Christ. And so, you know, it's, it's an outworking of that. And so this is the thing, is they came down and they baptized them in water. I want to say this to you. If you've not yet been baptized in water, Jesus commands it. This is the New Testament pattern. Repent, believe, confess that Jesus is Lord and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. In Jesus' name. And look, I don't mean to upset you if you come from any other denomination. That Look, I'm not into infant baptism. I'll just be honest with you. you know, I, and I'll tell you why. Because this is the thing. Is that the Bible conditions are repentance and faith. I, I, I don't have a problem with, you know, with people uh, putting some water on, 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 a, on a child. And, you know, if, if, the best we can call it is, is really a prophetic action. A prophetic action. Or declaring blessing over a child. You know, but nowhere in Scripture are people baptized first and believe after. You have to repent and believe first, and then you get baptized. So I want to encourage you, if you've been baptized as a baby, using the understanding of what the word baptism means to be immersed or dipped into, you need to be baptized fully in Christ you need to get baptized in water again as a believer. As a believer, you repent and you believe. Now that you're saved, get baptized in water. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Follow through the command. I can tell you from preaching the gospel around the world, there are many world, world religions. You will continue to be accepted by them, even confessing Christ as your Savior and Lord, up to the point that you get baptized. When you're baptized, every religion in the world recognizes when you get baptized into Christ, that is the cutoff point. So I don't encourage. I'm not one of those who believes that if you're not baptized, then you're not saved. I don't believe that. I, I think there's far too much scripture that would say that you are saved the moment you put your faith in Christ and call on him to save you as Lord and Savior. Amen. And you repent, believe, confess. So that's, that's the thing. But, you know, if you've got the opportunity to, in other words, you know, the, not like the thief on the cross who put his faith in Jesus. He didn't have time to get baptized, did he? For people who insist that it has to be baptized in water in order for them to be saved, they've got a problem. They've got a problem with Paul's statement to the Corinthian churches who, who says, you know, he says, you know, Jesus didn't send me to baptize. He says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's quite a statement, isn't it? So this is the thing, but baptism is nonetheless commanded by Jesus. It's full identification with him. But you cannot say that someone is not saved unless they're baptized in water. You contradict scripture. Now mind you saying that because some people are going around today making that very popular. It's not true. So look, you know, but it's very important that we, you know, we get out there. People need to be, this is the way to start the Christian life. Repent, believe, confess Christ as Lord, be baptized in water and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live a powerful, fruitful, free Christian life. Amen? Glory to God. Well, thank God. Whenever the gospel goes out, lives are changed. And it's, it's so wonderful. Sometimes I think the Lord even does miracles for people where they're not even expecting it. They're not even looking for it. And just in his mercy, he comes and he touches people. Maybe even this morning, God's going to suddenly touch you. I was preaching at the leprosy mission the other day. They had their annual... Um, it's one of the oldest Christian charities in the UK. I was preaching to their staff in their staff retreat day. 
Uh, that was just wonderful. You know, that one of the guys, he just came up to me at the end. He said, I came in, I've had so much pain, he said, in my neck for ages. I came in here and said, I just did, I could barely move. I just didn't pain, go to my head and all my neck. He said, you know, and just as you're preaching the word of God, he said, suddenly it's all gone. I'm totally healed, you know. And that's the power of the word of God, isn't it? It just happens. We have meetings sometimes. People just, deaf ears get opened, blind eyes open, while the word of God is being preached. Amen. We had it up in Hull recently, up at Jared's church. We were doing an impact week up there. And there's this guy who, who was from Cumbria. He's a retired soldier. He's in lots of service. You know, he went into the military. He, was kind of, he said to me in his own confession, he, went, he was running away from his dad, running away from his family life, had a horrific relationship with his father. And he said that, um, you know, so he went into the military, saw lots of active service. He said, but then, you know, we're doing the session on the father heart of God and he sobbed all the way through that session. Tears just coming down his cheeks. He's a big, tough soldier. But he's just weeping all the way through. At the end of the session, he goes up to Ralph, who oversees our internship stuff, as one of my trustees. And Ralph, he just said, I've got to forgive my dad. I've never forgiven my dad for the way he treated me and abused and all of this stuff. He said, but I've got to forgive him. This is the first time I've faced this in my life. And today I'm choosing to forgive my father. And he made the choice to forgive his dad. He totally forgot that through his military action, he had lost his sight in his right eye. He was totally blind in his right eye. And he didn't ask Ralph to pray for him. He just, he just came up and said, would you pray for me for grace to help me as I make a choice with you standing here with me to help me? We're going to forgive I want to forgive my dad so he forgave his dad and Ralph prayed with him and then he went back and sat down he wasn't even praying about his sight but as he returned to his chair he sat down for the next session he opened up the notes and suddenly realized his sight was totally restored isn't that amazing isn't that Jesus he's so wonderful he's so wonderful wow glory to God the cross The cross of Christ must be preached. What is the gospel? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. We're we're almost coming into land here, but I want you just to turn here with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. The Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, I declare to you the gospel. This is the clearest direct presentation in the New Testament, of what the gospel is. I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And others, unless you let go of what was preached to you. And just continue to believe. Amen. For I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received. And this is the gospel. Number one, Christ died for our sins in fulfillment of the scriptures. Amen. In fulfillment of the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. Not in sympathy with our sins, but in substitution for our sins. Amen. He paid the penalty for us. Not only did he die for our sins in fulfillment of many prophetic scriptures that he would come and do that. But also, number two, that he was buried. Why does he mention burial? Because burial is evidence of death. That's very significant. 
You don't bury people who are alive unless you're in the mafia or something. But, you know, the truth about it is that here under the New Testament, under the Jewish law and under the Roman law, you would only be buried once there was clear evidence of death. Christ died for us for our sins. He was buried and then he rose again the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. I can tell you on complete authority, I've been there twice myself. The tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. It is empty. They will never find his bones because he's risen from the dead. He's alive. Glory to God. All preaching of the gospel must include the resurrection of Christ. Because Paul said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And so this is the thing. We are saved by believing God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing him as Lord. So the resurrection is so fundamental. Some theologians go on saying, well, you know, Jesus said it's finished at the cross. That's true. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't be saved. The New Testament writers, when they use the term the cross, in their understanding, they meant the whole full work of the cross. That includes the resurrection of Christ. Amen. Then he goes on and he says, number four, he was seen. He was seen. He's like a lawyer presenting his case. He talks about many different ways and times that Jesus appeared to people. To emphasize the fact that he was alive, risen from the dead, as a human being, you could touch him. You could feel him. You knew he was genuinely alive. And he is alive today. Amen. And last of all, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is the grace of God that changes our lives. God is a gracious God. And grace describes the whole work of God in Christ for us on the cross. It's a work of grace. It's undeserved favor and mercy. And thank God for that. We have to receive it. You know, it takes humility to receive mercy and grace. Stunned me. I met a guy out on the street yesterday. No matter how hard Hasher and I shared with him and offered prayer for him, he would not receive the mercy of God, no matter what. That stunned me, absolutely stunned. But you know, it's pride. He didn't realize the pride (laughs) that was in him. Incredible. You may have heard me tell the story of the man that led to the Lord. Um, you know, well, actually, this guy didn't come to Christ, but he, uh, he took a major step towards it in, in Sutton, in Surrey, where I come from, you know, and uh, a couple of years ago, ministering there on the streets. You know, Sutton is a remarkable place. It's, uh, you know, at the, at the bottom end of Sutton. It's one of the poorest estates in the whole of London. On the upper part of Sutton and coming into Cheam, there are more millionaires than anywhere else in the country. It's a total contrast. And here I was, ministering to a guy who'd been a drug addict, and he really had, was a bit, had a bit of a beaten up life. And he was looked at it all very dirty and everything else. I finished sharing Christ with him. I hugged him. I shared Jesus with him. He gave his life to the Lord. He leaves. I notice all the time I'm sharing with this guy out the corner of my eye, there's a guy dressed in a three-piece suit, kind of Armani looking, you know, and he's there and he's watching me from a distance and he looks quite more and more frustrated as I go on. Until eventually I finish with this chap, I say goodbye to him, and suddenly this man steps up to me, and he's very smartly dressed, and he sticks out his hand to me, and he says to me, Jonathan. And I took his hand and said, yes, sir, good to meet you. I said, how can I help you? He said, 
I've been listening to you preach about Jesus Christ. I said, great. And then he looks at me and he says, I want you to know, he says, that I'm a very good man. I said, oh, good for you, sir. And then he says to me, he says that I have a wonderful wife and children, that I've always been faithful in my job. I have a great job. I've always paid my taxes. I'm an honest man. He said, I've lived a very good life. I don't need God. I need no forgiveness. And I do not need your Jesus. Oh, wow. So I said, well, look, I don't want to waste your time. You know, I mean, obviously, you're a very busy man and obviously feel I don't have anything to, to, to help you with, anything to give you, you know. Uh, but, but just before you go, can I shake your hand for a moment? I said, it's very rare I meet a perfect man. You know, I've, I've only met one before. And, and, and actually, his name is Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, it's but really good to meet you, you know. And I said, can I shake his hand for a moment? And he looked at me, you know, a bit like this. I said, look, you know, but anyway, just as you're on your way, you know, I don't want to hold you up or anything. I said, but um, just as you're on your way, can I just drop a few thoughts into your mind, you know, as you go? Uh, just some things to chew over. I said, um, you know, the Bible says that the law of God wasn't given to make us righteous. I said, now that shocks a few people because they think they can get into heaven by the good way that they live. So I says, but the Bible doesn't it just, it just says to us that the law of God wasn't given to make us righteous, but rather to expose our sin and our need of Christ and his grace. So the thing is this, so, you know, the law is like a mirror. We look into it and it shows up the things that otherwise we wouldn't want to see. So I said, so look, here's just a few of them. I said, I'm not going to give you all the commandments as it would be here all day. I said, let's forget the first, the first two, you know, to love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and your neighbor is yourself. No one does that perfectly every day. So everyone needs forgiveness every day. So I said, but no, let's just move past that. Let's just give out a couple. So I said, here's, here's, here's one to think of. The, the law says you shall not murder. He said, I want you to know I've never murdered anyone. I said, well, praise God for that. I'm so glad to hear it. And then he's, I said, but you know, Jesus goes a little bit deeper. And he says, the law says you shall not murder. But if you hate someone, you've murdered them already. I said, you know, so can I ask you, sir? I said, have you ever been diddled out of money by a, you know, by a tax inspector? Or maybe you've been diddled out of money by a partner in business. And, and maybe you just fumed with bitterness and anger against someone on the inside. Maybe somebody just cut you up as you went round a roundabout and something came out of your mouth. I said, you know, anything ever like that ever happened to you? Just maybe. You wait a bit. Well, yeah. I said, all right, look, look, I don't want to burden you or anything. I said, let me move on. I said, look, here's another one. The, the law says you shall not commit adultery. He said, I want you to know I've always been faithful to my wife. I said, I'm so glad to hear that, sir. Good man. I said, but Jesus goes a bit deeper, you see. And he says that if we lust after a woman with our eyes, then we've already committed adultery, which probably means every man on the planet probably has. So I, I said, so, uh, you know, you, just by any chance, maybe. He looked at me, he said, well, I don't know, well, you know, to, uh, well, haven't we all been like this? <laughs> all right, okay, all right. So, uh, just one last, I, I know you're busy, I don't let me hold you up or anything. I said, but just one last one. I said, um, the, the law also says the law will not hold guiltless the man who takes his name in vain. Have you ever said, oh my? You would, uh, um, well, um, I said, so, okay, so can I just get this right for a moment? I said, so you're a, you're a man, you've never sinned, you feel you don't need any forgiveness and, and all of that. However, you've just freely confessed to me here in public that you're actually a blasphemous, adulterous murderer. <laughs> don't you think perhaps that you might need some forgiveness? He looked at me for a moment. Said, Where were those leaflets you were handing out? <laughs> <laughs> But the truth about it is, you see, is that we've all sinned and we all need a saviour. We all need a saviour. And thank God we have one. He came to save us all. 
But you have to accept it and put your faith in him. But I want to say this to you as we wrap this up now. You were created for divine destiny and purpose. And the time is now to accept it. Many of us spend our lives in many distractions for many years. We get up to no good or we just fill our life with busyness. But God has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's before ordained for them. You can't get saved by good works, but once you receive Christ as your Savior by the good work of God, then you are saved unto good works that he has planned for your life. My dad, who was a pastor and a businessman, it is possible to be both, you know. My brother's a lawyer and a pastor. That's even more of a miracle. But the truth about it is, That my dad used to say to me that he prayed this prayer every day of his life. Lord, don't let me miss one good work you've ordained for me to fulfill today. That's a good prayer to pray. And God has things ordained for you, predestined for you to walk into. You've got to step into them. I believe in relational theology. God has brought us into a covenant with himself. And he's initiated. He's predestined a path, but we have to choose to walk in it. It's a pathway that God has for all of our lives. I want to wrap up with this testimony. And it's not a Christian testimony, but it's one that really impacted me. That I read late last year. It's the testimony of Alfred Nobel. How many of you have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize? I think pretty much all of us have heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. But you may not be so familiar with his life story. He lived between 1833 to 1896, best known for the Nobel Peace Prize. Less well known is the fact that Alfred Nobel also invented dynamite. As well as a chemist, engineer and innovator, he was a weapons manufacturer. In 1888, Alfred's brother Ludwig died and a French newspaper erroneously published Alfred's obituary. It condemned him for his invention of dynamite, stating the merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever, died yesterday. Alfred Nobel was devastated by the foretaste of how he would be remembered. His last will and testament set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. He gave the equivalent of 250 million US dollars to fund the prizes. Alfred Nobel had the rare opportunity to evaluate his life near to its end and to live long enough to change that assessment. Have you ever wondered what difference your life might make? How can your life bring blessing to other people? How can you change the world for the better? And how can your life be of ultimate, lasting value? In the words of Jesus Christ, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul, your own life, what does it profit you? What gain is it to you? You will not take your wealth with you. You will not take your academic achievements with you. You will not even take your family with you with you you stand alone before God so 
What are you living for? As somebody once said, if what you're living for isn't worth dying for, it's not worth living for. So today, today's your day. Today's your time. He's calling you. I wind up with the scripture we started with. Now is the acceptable time. And now is the day of salvation. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.